Good morning and welcome to Life Connection, a ministry of First Baptist Church of Joplin. We're glad that you're taking the time to join us this morning as Pastor Jamie shares an uplifting message with us from God's Word. This sermon was recorded from our 1030 service at our downtown location at 633 South Pearl in Joplin, Missouri. Amen. Luke 15 this morning. Luke chapter 15, continuing, following, we followed the prodigal son down into the pig pen, and that's where we left off. Today we go from the pig pen back to his father. Looking at runaway, we've seen why it's not as much fun as it seems. Luke 15, I'm going to read the story again from verse number 11 to verse 24 this morning. I know there's more story. We'll, we'll continue the story next week um, as we look at the older brother. But for this morning, I want to read verse 11 to 24 in Luke 15. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, or he gave them the life. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal or wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Last week, when we looked at the story, we realized that the son's first step in going out on his own was a decision of his self will. It was his own decision to go out, and how his new plans for his life no longer included his father. He went to his father and asked literally for his inheritance. The inheritance was usually given out, though it could be divided while the parent was still alive. It was most generally divided and, and, and distributed, that is, um, after the parent had passed away. So the son goes to his father and in essence is saying, I'm not, I don't care about you anymore. All I care about is what I can get from you. 
And we spoke about how even as Christians we can do that. We can not be so concerned with the giver, but focus on the gift. And we can get to the place in our lives where we're not concerned about knowing God or having or carrying on or deepening or further developing a personal relationship with Him, but rather we can be more, more, uh, more prone to want and desire the things that He can give us. What God wants us to do is to grow and develop and strengthen a personal relationship with Him. He wants us to know him not at the expense or wants us to know him um, if by chance through the gifts that he gives so the son goes to his father and, and it says in essence father you're not in my plans father i'm not even concerned about having and, and continuing my relationship with you it's as though you're dead i just want what you're going to give me and he goes into the the, the far country as we looked last week it was his decision, his direction was to go further from the Father. We found him in the place where he was without money, without friends, without food. He was literally in a very desperate, destitute place in his life. He was looking, this good Jewish boy, is out, or this Jewish boy anyway, is out working with these pigs and he's desiring to even eat what these unclean animals are eating. And this morning, it brings us now to the place where he has said, I will arise. But something happens before he puts together this plan. Before he says what he's going to do. He makes a plan. You may remember me talking about this last week. That it's not simply enough for us to recognize where we are. Because just as self-will got him in that position, it was this self-awareness is what really is going to get him out. Just as he had made the decision to leave... He also had to make the decision to go back. You see, Luke 15 is a, is a wonderful chapter. It's a favorite to many people. And because it includes three stories. And the three stories that we have in there is of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the runaway son. And when we look at all three of these stories, there are some things that are similar, but there are, there's also something that's different. The thing that is similar is that all three of those stories account that, is some, that something is out of place. The sheep is not with the shepherd. The coin is not where, where the other nine coins are and where they're supposed to go on that Jewish wedding garment. But this one's a little different. The son is not where he belongs. He's not in the house with the father. He's not in the home. And he has gone away. So all three of them are similar in that they are, there's something that is out of place. But one thing that is glaringly different in the story of the runaway son compared to the other two about the lost coin and the lost sheep is this, that the father never leaves to go get the son. The shepherd left the 99 in the wilderness and went and got the one lost sheep and brought him back and rejoiced. The woman who had lost the one coin had swept and lit a candle until she found it. When she found it, she called her neighbors and rejoiced over the fact that she had found the coin that was lost. But the father never leaves the home. He never leaves his property that we have record of going to find this son that had run away. And it said this, that for this runaway son, since it was his self-will, since it was his own personal decision to look at both things, to say, I could stay here with my father or I could live my life apart from him, and since it was his own personal decision to run away, it required more. To redeem this son would have required more than to simply locate him. He had to make the decision to come back. Finding a sheep, you locate it. 
The shepherd picked it up and carried it back. The coin, when the woman found it, after she had lit a candle and swept the floor, she picked it up and put it back where it belonged. The son could be located, but he had to have a change of heart. It had to be his decision to go back. And when we find this, I want you to look with me for a moment at the decision that the son made. That turning point in his life. Yes, he was at the very depths. He was as low as he could go. He was at the end of his rope and he tied a knot. I mean, this is, this is about as low as you can go. And while he's there, it says he came to himself. And if you're taking notes, the first thing is this. The son's decision. The son's decision was based off of an awareness. All of a sudden, this certain awareness, all of the things that he thought he was going to have, and and all of the things that he'd probably hoped that this new life of independence was going to be able to bring, it, it really just shattered. And he finds himself there shaken and jarred. Sometimes when we fall to the bottom, we're jarred so much that we're awakened by the reality of how far we've fallen. And the circumstances, no doubt, the growling of his stomach, the longing for companionship, whatever it was that was within him, that was churning it brought about a sudden realization that this is not right this is not where i belong maybe it was his physical hunger maybe it was his his relational hunger whatever it was something happened and he had an awareness and i want you to just consider for a moment the this, the things that played a part in this sudden awareness that caused this turning point in the son's life the first is this he knew where he was he knew where he was It says that when he was there, he was hungry. He would have just as soon eaten what the pigs were eating, but nobody was giving him anything. He knew where he was. The second thing is this. He knew what was going to happen if he stayed there. He said, I will perish with hunger. Or, originally, he's saying, I am perishing with hunger. He knew where he was. He was hungry. More things than food he was hungry for. And while he was there, he knew what would happen if he stayed. Sometimes in our lives, we can get wrapped up in pleasures of sin for a season. We can get wrapped up in our self-will and our independence and our sin and our wayfaringness, whatever you want to call it, our spiritual wanderings. We can get tempted. We can yield to that temptation. We can begin living lives. And all the while, we think it is fun. It is crazy. We're having an awesome time. And before long, we can find out that we have exhausted our resources. We can find out that our friends are gone. And I pray that we would yearn for that companionship and yearn with what we knew about God and we would desire that relationship that something, something would jar us to the point that we would recognize where we are. You've heard many testimonies. Actually, a testimony is not complete. No testimony is complete without a turning point. You can't have a testimony of what God has done in your life. You cannot have a testimony of the saving relationship with Jesus Christ if, there is, if it is void of that spot where you say, this is when I had a realization that I was a sinner, that I had sinned and missed the mark. No testimony is complete without that transitional moment where we had that realization that we were not in a relationship with the Father. And we had to come to that relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. But no testimony is complete 
without that awareness, that, that transition in our life where we recognize where we were and we recognize what was going to happen. He is a, he is a great picture of a sinful person that really is going the wrong way, and if they stay there, they're going to die, not just physically. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Those that continue to reject the free gift of salvation and reject a free relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, will only experience death, not just a physical death, but an eternal death. There were three things that he was aware of. One was where he was. Second is what was going to happen if he stayed there. And the third thing is this. He remembered how good it was with his father. He remembered the goodness of the father. When it says, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? In the original language, what he's saying is, My father is abounding in loaves. My father has tremendous amounts of bread. And here I am, starving. He was aware of where he was. He was aware of what would happen if he didn't change, if he didn't get out of there, if he didn't turn, if he didn't repent. And he also was aware of how much his father had, how good his father was. Notice the second thing in, in result, or as a part of the decision if he had an awareness, it's not simply enough for us to know where we are spiritually. It's not enough for us to simply be aware that if I continue on this path that it's going to destroy me or if I stay on this path it's going to destroy my marriage or destroy my witness. If I stay on this path something's going to be destroyed. It's not simply enough to be aware of where we are, what's going to happen and how good our Father is if there's not a response. And with the son, yes, he has this decision, but it was based off of this understanding. He's jarred at the end of his robe to realize how far he's gone, but then something happens. He makes a response. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, I will arise and go to my father. I will arise and go to my father. He's saying, I can't stay here. If I stay here, I'm going to die. I've got to leave. I will arise and go to my Father. I'm going to change my path. I'm going to change the direction in my life. Before he went from the Father, now he's going to the Father. I will arise and go to my Father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you. There was not just this moment where he is going to turn. And he does turn. There's not just this moment where he recognizes and aware of where he's at. And the danger of that and how good his father is. But he actually acts upon it. He says, I will arise. I'm getting out of here. I'm turning. I'm repenting. That's what repentance is. It's a turn from sin. And I will confess. I'll say to my father. Guys, here's the thing. He could change location. He could change his surroundings. He could change his circumstances. 
But that would not be sufficient for the relationship. He could move to a different country. He could go back to his father. But ultimately, he recognized that there was an issue. It wasn't just, it wasn't just that he wanted to leave. He recognized that at the core of his, 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 his journey was sin. He realized that there was a sin issue that needed to be dealt with. Oftentimes, we want to gloss over the sin issue. We don't want to talk about the sin. We don't want to confess because, frankly, it doesn't feel good. It's not comfortable. We don't like it. It's kind of humbling when we confess and admit that we have done wrong. But he knew. He knew. I'm not just getting out of this pen. I'm not just trying to make a better life. I'm not just trying to to have a little better end to the story of my life. What he is saying is when he says, I'll tell my father, he's saying, I am going to confess and work on the relationship with my father. It's not simply enough to want to just turn. Yes, that can change some things in our life to, to turn and to stop doing those things, but yet, if we do not reconcile that relationship, that action can be a stumbling block between us. He knew, if I'm going to go back to my father, I'm going to tell my father, you know what? I messed up, Dad. And that's what he says. I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. Let me just interject this for a moment in regards to his decision. The son says that he is no longer to be considered a son. But he is willing to be a hired servant of his father. And really what the son is saying is to his father is that when he comes back to say this, is that, God, Dad, your son, a son of yours who has brought so much shame and has wasted all that you have, have lived for and built up, that son comes back with such shame. He's saying, I don't deserve to be your son. It's as though he's saying, your son died back there. I'm coming back as a man who is willing to be your servant. A son receives what he receives because of who he is. A servant receives what he receives because of what he does. And the son is coming back saying, I'm not your son, I'm just willing to be a servant. I'm willing to eat your bread. I'm willing to be a second class person on this ranch because I've done bad things. And let me just say this. There are Christians who have messed up in life. There are Christians who have done things that they should not have done. There are Christians, many Christians, that have found themselves in the pig pen. Their witness has been hurt. Their testimony has been hindered. They have have messed up. But the good news is this. That that son who says, I'm willing to just be a servant. I'm willing to just earn everything I can get. I wasn't accepted by the Father. You see, those Christians that mess up may feel as though they're not really a son anymore and they're just satisfied to be a servant. Maybe some, some in here this morning, maybe some of us serve or some of you serve because you feel like you're trying to repay the wrong that you've done. 
Maybe you feel like, you know, God, I have messed up. And in order to, to, to make this right, I've got to do this penance work. You know what the great news is? When that son comes back and he says to his father exactly what he says he's going to say. He says, I will arise. Or he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer to be called your son. Notice verse 21. I'm no longer to be called your son. Verse 22, the father interrupts. And said to his servants, bring out the best robe. The father didn't even let him get to the rest of it. The father didn't even let him talk about being a servant. The father stopped him while he was still saying about his son. The father didn't do this because of the worthiness of his son. He did it because of the goodness of his nature. The son comes back. He makes his decision. Recognizing where he is, where, what's going to happen if he stays there in that, that life of rebellion, that life of wandering, that life of sin. He realizes if I stay here, I'm going to die. And I realize I remember how good I had it with my father. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father. And he does that very thing. And he confesses that sin before his father. Confession is agreeing with God about sin. Saying, God, I've sinned. You know it's sin. You know I've done it. But God, I am agreeing with you. I'm coming into agreement with you that what I did was wrong and I take full responsibility. You know what? We, we have a lot of different emotions when it comes to the prodigal son. There are some of us that love the story because, frankly, we can probably associate him with him very well. There are some who may look at this story of the prodigal son and be surprised that the father would be so willing to forgive and so willing to give abundantly to the son. So there are some that come to this, this parable with confusion. There are some who cling to it in love. But, but out of all the things that we look with this son... And all the things that we can pick apart in his life and say he messed up here and he did this wrong. Let me tell you something. From the time he leaves that pen, from the time he hits the bottom, he doesn't do anything wrong. In fact, if you think about it, this man who is coming up out of the pig pen does something that really, if you think about it, seems to be very rare in Scripture. Let me tell you how rare it is. Do you remember when God created the heavens and the earth and all of those things in Genesis 1-1 and He made as the pinnacle of His creation man? He saw that it was not good for man to be alone, so He made woman, and the man and woman became one flesh. So here we have Adam and Eve. God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in the garden that you want, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. God tells him there are things you can do, but there's one thing you can't. Don't touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you're going to die. So you know the story, don't you, that Eve went out and, and was tempted by the, by the devil in the form of a serpent. He was more subtle than any beast of the field. So long story short, Eve yields to this temptation. She takes the fruit off of the tree that she was forbidden to eat, and she eats it. Her husband comes, and he ate too. So now both of them have done a big no-no in what God had told them to do. Both of them had sinned the first couple how many y'all wanted a perfect marriage when i when i when i was when i was engaged to Bri, i thought our i thought our marriage was going to be perfect and we were never going to have issues where it was going to be perfect that lasted about the second day of the honeymoon 
And I, I started to, you know, feel bad. Everybody's looking at Bree now. I felt really bad about that, but I realized, you know what? There was really only one perfect marriage, and that was Adam and Eve, and it didn't last that long. I mean, it, it had some problems, too. We're doing fine, though, for those of you that are wondering. We've been able to work through most of our problems. But in this, do you remember what happened when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day? They'd sinned. They recognized. They were aware. They were naked. And they ran into the trees, sewing together fig leaves to cover their nakedness. So they run from God. And God knows exactly where they are. He says, where are you? Because he's calling them out from the trees, wanting them to confess. And do you remember finally when Adam comes out and God is dealing with Adam? Who told you that you sinned? Oh, God, that woman you gave me. Let me point this way. That, that woman you gave me. <laughs> I'm left-handed and everything, but when I point, I guess. That woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate. Does that sound like a confession? No. That's not a confession at all. He does have it right in that he recognizes that it's sin, but he's blaming his wife. Get a little of that. He's blaming his wife. Oh, he's a dog. And his wife then, now that the divine glare is placed upon her, I would love to say that she said, yep, you're right, I did it. But she did not. She said, that devil made me do it. Right? So they all three got put in timeout. But, if you think about it, how rare is it when we search through the Scriptures when someone messes up that they are really that quick to confess? It doesn't happen that often. Even men after God's own heart had a difficult time confessing. And his son, jarred at the end of his rope, realizes where he's at, realizes what's going to happen if he stays there. And he turns and he makes his plan to repent, to leave the place he's at and move back. So notice first was the decision. Next is the son's direction. He's going back to the father. Just like last week, the son's decision was to leave. His direction was to a far country. Every step carrying him further and further and further from a relationship with the father. Now, every step he's taking is now really taking him closer to that relationship with the father. Every step, every motion, every movement of his body is now focused on getting closer and closer to the father. And whether, wherever you are on your, on your spiritual map as far as your closeness or your nearness to Christ this should be literally the motto of our life this right here this son walking every step taking another step closer to his father every step is bringing him closer in proximity to his father that should be the motto of our lives God, every step, every motion of my body, every thought in my mind, every action in my hands, God, let it be something that is drawing me closer to You. He was far away. And He almost died. 
And remembering how good the father was, he decided, I'm turning around and he's going. His decision was to leave. His direction was going back to the father. Notice this third thing. And I want to spend an ample amount of time on this. This is the best part. I'm just going to tell you. The son's decision, yeah, that's great. The son's direction, yeah, that should challenge us. Let me tell you, this third and final point this morning really is the the crown jewel of of the story of the son. If this was a movie, this would be when you would hear all of the oboes and the horns and, and, and the music playing. This would be the climax of the movie. And let me read it once again. I want to read verses 20 to 24, and I want to read them slowly. And I want us to consider these words before we dissect what the father did. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. First was the son's decision. Secondly was the son's direction. But the third and final thing was the son's reception. We can only imagine what was probably going through his head when he was coming home. We don't have any scripture that tells us what was running through the mind of the son as he would take each step, drawing him closer to that goal that he is going to see his father and he's going to confess his father. If we agree that we talked about last week, if we agree that it's a possibility that the son went to the far country because he knew that the plans he had were not going to be approved of by the father, then it can only be a long walk for him to think that I'm coming back and I'm confessing to my father what I've done. And he comes back. And the scripture says, in verse 20, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. How many of your Bibles say his father in verse 20? Raise your hand if your Bible says his father. Raise your, bi- raise your hand if you have a Bible this morning. All right, praise God. Raise your hand if you see someone's Bible. All right, praise God. Put your hands down for a moment. Well, in our English Bibles, it says that his father saw him a great way off. And his father ran and had compassion on him and fell on his neck and kissed him. But really, in the original, there's an awesome little thing that is attached. There's an awesome little tack that's put right in there that pricks our finger and gets our attention. Not in the English, but in the original. It does not say in the original that when he came back that his father saw him a great way off, showing how much 
compassion, showing the relationship, showing the love of the Father. In the original Greek, what it is saying is that when he was still a great way off, his own Father, showing that he was still his Father. His own Father sees him a great way off. Why in the world? Why in the world did that father see his son a great way off? It was because he was looking for him. Anticipating the arrival. Oh my. Off in the distance, there lies a silhouette. I would imagine that the father would think, oh, that's just someone passing by and before long that little silhouette on the horizon would get a little larger and a little larger and the father probably knowing better than anyone the stride the way that the gate of the uh, the gate of his son the way he would walk the way he would carry himself probably saw the head hung low knowing that that looked like his son who was coming back ashamed as that silhouette would get larger and larger i'm certain that the father who knew his son better than anybody else and had seen certainly that silhouette on the horizon before had known that's my son where the son would come back the father met him the father was the one that ran to the son guys I don't know what the son was thinking would happen when he came back apparently he figured that his dad would at least hire him back But just the fact that the scripture says his father saw him a great way off and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Let me just tell you, that had to be by far greater than anything that the son would have expected to come from his father. He ran. When I think of this story, I like that it's all wrapped up in that word compassion. He sympathized lovingly with his son. So many, yes, yes, God is holy. Yes, God is just. Yes, In His holiness, God despises sin. But praise His name that God our Father is compassionate. Praise God that He looks at us and the sin that we've committed, that He knows what we've done, and yet He still has a sympathetic love towards us, that He is motivated here by compassion. It wasn't justice. It wasn't judgment. It wasn't anything other than good old-fashioned compassion that that's my son, and he's come back, and I love him, and I don't care what he smells like. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what he's done. That's my son and I'm going to show him that I love him there's a world out there that has misunderstood God is just but just like a coin has two sides both of them valid God is not just just but he is compassionate 
also. What if I told you that God wants more than anything to know you? What if I told you that God wants more than anything to have a vibrant relationship with you? What if I told you that God loves you so much, just as we're amazed that this father runs to the son, what if I told you that God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you so that you could know him? Just as we're amazed at the compassion of the father, we should not be that amazed to consider that he sent his own son so that we could know him. He ran. Oh, you know how that had to feel, don't you? I mean, the only, pe- the, only, the only creation that he'd been bunking with for a while were pigs. I mean, no doubt he's craving some human companionship. He is wanting to be and develop this relationship with his father. He has been, been so destitute of so many things, including a relationship. And when he comes back, his father is running to him. Moved with compassion. Notice... Please with me for a moment. Verse 22. The father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Here it gets better and better and better. The father who would have been, it would have been good, great even, for the father to simply kiss him and to show compassion and to hug him, to love him in that way. That probably would have been good enough, but it was not good enough for the father. The father turns to his servants and says, I want you to bring out four things. As though he already had the four things ready. I want you to bring out the best robe. The best robe. Now let's have a little quiz. What had the son been doing the whole time before this? Feeding pigs. Have you guys ever driven by a pig farm? Smells good, doesn't it? Want to roll your windows down? Just park there and have lunch? Picnic? No. No, Lord, no. A pig farm does not smell good. Bacon smells good, but a pig farm does not. He had been in the pit with the pigs. And he comes back to the father. Notice something. The father never washed him. The Father covered him. Adam and Eve, when they had sinned and they realized they were naked, after all of that had been taken care of, God took an animal, skinned it, and placed the tunics of skin over Adam and Eve. He covered them at the sacrifice of an animal's life. Here, the Father didn't clean him. The Father covered him. Aren't you glad to know that when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, he covered us with the very best robe ever, and that robe is the covering of his holy blood. We may mess up, but praise God, as far as he is concerned, we have the covering of his atonement on our life. Amen. The Father clothed him with the best robe. Secondly, the father gets a ring and puts it on his finger. Now, no doubt, this was the smallest of all of the gifts that he received, but I can't help but think, even though it was the smallest of all of the gifts, it was probably the most valuable to him because that ring did not keep the sun off of him. 
That, that ring did nothing more than to show that his relationship with the Father was intact. He now had the ring to signify that he was his Father's son. He was the property of his Father. Then the Father says, bring me the sandals. Guys, it's, we've already talked about how a pig pen is not the freshest place to be. But can you imagine being in the pig pen barefooted? Yeah, there we go. That hit home, didn't it? You might not remember anything I said, but you have this mental image of yourself traipsing around in a pig pen barefooted. And this father comes. Look at, the, look at, how, look at how deep the father's love is. That he would be even concerned about the dirty feet of his son. Bring here the robe. Bring here the ring. Bring here the sandals. And forth. Bring the fatted calf. Do you know what the fatted calf represents? The fatted calf, of course, was a special calf that was used for feasts. It was the one that was put out in the best pasture. It was the one that they wanted to get fat, all for the purpose of slaughter. They were, that was the calf that was put aside for a special feast. So the father is not saying, go get a fatted calf. Go bring the robe, go get the ring, go get the sandals, and get the fatted calf, the one that we have set apart for the purpose of a festival, the one that we have set apart for the purpose of a feast. Do you notice something? Later in the story, the older son comes to his father and says this, Father, you have not even offered me so much as a goat. To eat with my friends. I would, I would suggest this to you. The same father that showed us he was anticipating the return of his son by seeing him a great way off. I believe that same father had the robe, the ring, the sandals, and a calf out in the field being fattened up just waiting for that day when his son's silhouette got bigger and bigger and bigger on the horizon. Guys, let me tell you something. If there is indeed, as the scripture says, more joy in the presence of the angels of God in heaven over one sinner that repents, can you imagine how much joy there is with Jesus to bring out the very best? He does not have to exhaust his coffers in order to give us the best. He does delights in offering to us the best that heaven has to offer. And here the Son Remember, who was starving to death. The son that was happy would have been content to simply eat what the pigs ate. Is now back with his father for a feast prepared for him. Oh, he was content to get bread. Not bread now. You get a BLT. Quarter pounder. T-bone. Something. Can I just say one last thing? Real quick, I want you to think of something. When that son was in the pig pen, do you remember he worked for a man? He was a hired servant. And do you remember that he sent him out into the field to feed his swine? So he was working in the pig pen. So the man that he was working for before didn't care if he was hungry, didn't even give him any food, and he sent him out with not even adequate shoes on in order to feed his pigs. That's what he had before. A taskmaster. A master who did not care for the good of the son. 
But now the son comes home, and the father can't stop giving him wonderful gifts. It was not because of the worthiness of the son, but truly it was because of the goodness of the father. What a journey this son makes. Almost to death's door because of his self-will. While there being jarred to the very point of his sudden awareness of where he's at. What's going to happen if he stays there? And he makes this decision. I can't stay here or I'll die. I'm going to go back to my father. And he makes that long, difficult journey back to his dad. He confesses his sin to his father and is willing to be a servant. But his father will have none of it. And yet his father brings with him the joy of the presence and the gifts to receive his son who was once dead and is now alive. Let me just ask you just a real quick question. If, if we don't know Jesus, if there's someone here this morning that has never made a saving relation, has never trusted Christ as your Savior, let me just ask you something. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, and you know that right now, how do, we, how do you respond to this story? Because this story speaks of a son who is a picture of sin, self-will, running off, doing his own thing, not considering God, recognizing, coming to that place of awareness. It's not simply enough to know the danger of where we are and, and the, the desperation of our situation, but we have to act on it. And I tell you, I'm not taking anything away from the power of God's Word or the work of His Holy Spirit, but I tell you, if we can read across the, pro- the story of the prodigal son and see a father willing to forgive and give to that son, and if we can, res- if we can read that story and not decide to get up and go to our father, I'm afraid that our heart may be incredibly hard. And if if reading the prodigal son, if understanding that story doesn't cause us to want to come back to the Father, to stop being a spiritual runaway, then I wonder what it will take in our life to jar us to the point of returning or coming to God. And this is a really simple thing I'm going to ask you this morning. Where are we? Really, there are two places. We're either with the Father or we're in the pig pen. And you know what? You could still be a child of God and caught up and wound up in, in stinky sin and you're doing things you know you shouldn't. And you know that you're far away from God. You know that your relationship's not close and intimate. And deep within you, you're desiring for that. Maybe for some of us that are Christians, we can look back on those moments of our life when our walk with Christ was intimate. It was step for step. And you, learn, you yearn for that. You long for that. And today I pray that it wouldn't just be a recognition. wouldn't just be an awareness of where you're at, what you need, and how good God is. But this morning we would respond to that. We'd say, God, I'm not comfortable here anymore. A son will never be comfortable in a pig pen. A son will never be comfortable in a pig pen. Loves like a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. But all of a sudden, I 
severities, afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us all. We hope that this broadcast has been a blessing to you. If you're without a church home, we'd love for you to drop in and visit one of our many weekly services. We offer ministries for every age. For more information regarding the church and the ministries we offer, visit us on the web at fbcjoplin.org. For prayer requests or to receive a free, unedited copy of this sermon, please call the church office at area code 417-624-4585. And thank you for being a part of Life Connection.